What's up, friends? I'm Candace Kelly, and welcome to episode 27 of the Mental Cement Podcast, the show where we teach you how to master your mindset in order to live the life that you want to live. Today's guest is an eight times author and a professor of entrepreneurship at UNT Charlotte, as well as Queens University of Charlotte. He's also the entrepreneur in resident for the Charlotte Chamber of Commerce. Along with serving on the board for four startups, he travels the country speaking on topics of startup success, innovation, and entrepreneurship. But one of his biggest and most notable accomplishments is that he is one of the founders of Avid Exchange, a Charlotte-based startup that is now worth $1.4 billion and has over a thousand employees and is growing daily. So he is not only a successful entrepreneur, but he's probably one of the best in the country. And he's here today to share a two-part series with us all about how he built his company, why it's important to dream big, and some steps that you can take to become a master salesman. So without further ado, please welcome today's guest, the Chris Elmore. The Chris Elmore, welcome to the Mental Summit Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Where did you get the from? The is from your <laughs> business card. I know there are a lot of imposters, but we wanted to make sure we got the right one. You know, there's a backstory to that. Did I tell you the backstory? What's the backstory? There, so um, a friend of mine, because I'm such a middle child, needed, uh, was wanting to put together a um, Wikipedia page for me. Mm-hmm. And she found that there's a Chris Elmore in uh, London who's a politician that had it. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I immediately took all of my social media and put the Chris Elmore because I wanted them to know that there are some imposters out there. I'm so glad we know because the imposters are not as good as the real thing. There you go. <laughs> I like that. This is starting off real well. There we go. <laughs> Chris, you are one of a few people who can say that they've been the founder of a billion, 1.4 billion to be exact. Exactly. (laughs) $1.4 billion startup. That's pretty amazing. But what I'm interested in is how did you know from the beginning? Because it seems like you're the type of person that always knew, right? A nine to five would just suffocate you. And, And what about you let you know that you just had to try it? You had to start something for yourself. Well, so um, I call it the sickness. You know, the sickness is that you're an entrepreneur. You've always had that bent. You know, there's, you know, these people in, in Canada, I'm going to ask you because, you know, every podcast that I'm on, I always try to ask the podcaster the questions also. But there's a certain point and it's, it's as a little kid, it's natural where we just mess around and we play and we emulate the, the adults that we um you know, that we admire. And, you know, obviously I admired my dad. I admired even business people in the community. And so in 1976, I started my first company at seven years old. And it was a, cla- a trash collecting business. And it did pretty well. I think at a certain point, I was making more money than my mom. She was a, a, a part-time assistant at a, at a local school. So, um, you know, I call that kind of the bug you know you have that entrepreneurial bug now the problem with the entrepreneurial bug is if you feed it it's almost impossible to work for somebody else and in the in a traditional way because people uh, I was talking with a group this morning and they were like why um 
why, um, you know, why is it that you just, you know, during the really darkest times of starting up your company, why is it that you just didn't quit and go to McDonald's? That's what they use. They said McDonald's. And I said, you know, honestly, because I don't think McDonald's would, would have taken me. You know, my problem is I would have gone into McDonald's. And I'd be like, why are we doing it this way? You know, what, what's the, you know, why are we wearing these, uh, these pants or this, why are you doing, you know, and, and I would have wrecked the whole thing. So <laughs> at a certain point, when you have the bug and you have the desire and you have the capability, it's really hard to kind of work for someone else because they're different skills. I'm not trying to say that I, I'm jerk and I can't be, you know, it's gotta be my way or the highway. It's just different skills. And, and, you know, working maybe at the bank or, or working at McDonald's, either of them are, can be perfectly fine careers. They really can. Um, I just don't have that skill. And, um, when you don't have the skills, you won't do the jobs very well. Now, did you get the bug? You have the bug, right? I think so. I was you just did. When did it? When did it show up? I think my problem was my dad used to, I love to read. And instead of reading kids books, he would read business books to me. Like he'd read oh, Robert Kiyosaki and all of these great guys. And so as a little kid, I thought that was normal. And I remember in fifth grade, I got in trouble for, I would get the little Happy Meal toys yes collect them and then i would sell them for a quarter and then you know i realized what? that i got other people to sell them and i'd give them a nickel so i had a whole ring and then they had to get shut down we had to have a conference <laughs> so i was like hmm something yeah, I had that, right that's, that's that's horrible that breaks my heart that it gets shut down but i gotta tell you something you know it's funny i did the exact same thing really my, i did and it was i was i i remember i showed my dad the money i had it in my hands and i was probably in first grade maybe maybe second but I know it's really young and it was the exact same thing McDonald's toys and I was reselling and um my dad maybe give the money back mm. and I was at he was at a conference I was speaking at and I told that story and I said dad don't you feel bad now <laughs> and he's got a great sense of humor and he kind of brushed it off but you know um I think it's unfortunate in some situations where, you know, I'm, I'm 49 and three quarters. I'm almost 50. And, you know, 50-year-old's version of being an entrepreneur is really celebrated. A five or six or seven-year-old's version of an entrepreneur is shut down. It's like, and then it's even worse. A 15 and a 16 and a 17 and an 18 year old's version of an entrepreneur is shut down. And they're, and they're always, the, it's, it's like, hey, it's time to stop playing and it's time to start to get serious and you got to focus on your career. But the thing is, the, the kid's version of an entrepreneur is play. That's it. You know, they're playing and they're messing around. And I always tell my students, you know, I don't know how much we're going to get into my bio, but I teach it. UNCC Queens and I do some work at Gardner Webb and soon to be Winget. So I love interacting with the college students and, and, and the thing I tell my students about being an entrepreneur, and I think you've done this really well, is that you got to take this chance while you're young and you don't have uh, all of the golden handcuffs or the, the boat or the house or the kids. You got to take this opportunity while you're young to just mess around and to play and to experiment and to don't take the experimenting too far. I tell my students, don't do that one, you know, because they always equate that to partying. 
But the, the, the whole thing is that meet up with some people that you know, start doing something, get a little hustle together. And every entrepreneur that's successful I've ever known, I always ask them, what was the, what was the side hustle you did in college? And well, they said, well, I printed shirts for sororities or I, or I did events for um, whatever. And so um, I hate that that naturally gets shut down by people who are saying, you need to start taking this stuff seriously. Mm. So you have, a, you have side hustles, don't you? Oh yeah, I'm trying. See? And it's funny because I can resonate with that so deeply um, because this is my senior year, I'm getting ready to graduate. And so everyone's asking, well, what jobs do you want? What career? And right. I'm like, I just need some income so I can focus on what I want to do. And they're like, yeah. okay, but you could be in management. You went to college. And I'm like, I went to college so I could check that off so I could get more money to fund what I want to do. And it's just so interesting to see people kind of nod, but also like that poor kid, right? They're just looking like there's no hope for this one. And yeah. it's, it's not a lot of people understand that if that's not how they're wired. Yeah, I think, I think people, so especially parents, I think parents or friends of years, you know, I think there's a couple of classes there. You know, there's some people that are close to you that don't want you to be successful because that puts pressure on them or maybe put the microscope on them saying, you know, look what they did and, and, I'm, and I'm not doing anything. You know, that, and maybe I've had some of those issues in my life before, but I don't really, I can't do too much about it. But the, the one that, so I graduated from UNCC in 1993. You and I, same school, a little bit of a gap though. Um, the, I, got a, I have a degree in history and museum studies. And people asked me when I was in college, what, it, was, it was a question and it was a comment. They'd say, what are you going to do with a history degree? Are you going to teach? And, and they were always kind of struck by my answer, which, but I was a cocky little brash kid. And um, my wife, she loves to tell the stories about the good old days when she met me because she met me in college. And she said that version of Chris is, was hilarious and entertaining because I was so full of myself. But that was just pent up desire to do something with no experience, you know, and that's a bad place to be, but it's very entertaining on the outside. But I would tell people, they'd say, what do you want to do with the history degree? And my answer was always, whatever I want to. And I was dead serious about that. Because I felt like I needed to get out of college, just like you said, check it off. It's a, it's a at AVID, we look at a college degree as, as the, the first thing that a young person can do of significance that, that is difficult and is successful. So if we can find people like that, then we know that they can you know, we can put them in a good situation to where they can help the company. But I was serious about whatever I wanted, whatever, whatever I wanted to do, that's what I was going to do. And I felt like if I got my college degree, I'd move on. And then the company that I would hook myself up with would eventually train me. Now, what I didn't know was I was terrible for any company. So I tried a couple of those. The first five years I was out of college, I, I I worked at six different businesses and with marginal success here and there. And it was only until I met Mike Prager in 1997. And he said that he wanted to start a tech company that I started really finding, you know, my sweet spot in life, you know, and that, that brought me back to when I was a little kid, which was, you know, I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but in the seventies and eighties, you didn't talk about entrepreneur. You were like doctor, lawyer, you know, 
whatever. But um, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I found that out. I finally got connected with someone with the same vision who was better than me, smarter than me. And I just grabbed onto him and held on, basically. I'm really good at riding coattails, really good. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about one of your ideas that everything is going to be okay is one of the biggest disruptors to big dreams. Talk about that. What do you mean by that? So if you look at a situation, uh, you always know when it's really, really good. It's just easy. And you also always know when it's really, really bad. But um, the problem is if you're somewhere in the middle, it's, it's hard to deal with. I always say that one of the, the biggest detractors from success is, is the pull that mediocrity has. Our, our culture says, hey, look, if it's going okay, just leave it alone. Don't, don't rock the boat. Leave well enough alone. If it's not broken, don't fix it. The, the point that I wanted to make is that um, when you think, well, first of all, um, I'm an obsessive goal setter. That's one of the, uh, the stories that my wife likes to tell about me is that I'm an obsessive goal setter. And she, she found one of my goal sheets from 23 years ago. And at the top of the goal sheet was, I really wanted to buy a cell phone. I thought it was a big goal for me. And another one was buy a minivan. I felt like if I had a cell phone and a minivan, I'd be doing really well. But one of the things about setting goals and going after those goals is that when you really, so you can kind of use this as an indicator of your success. When you really pursue that goal, you'll realize that, that you set it too low. And then you'll just move it up a little bit. And then you'll move it up a little bit. And one of the things that I, I worked on in my 40s was how to think bigger. And, and I'd, I'd always struggle with that. Now, I told you about my partnership with Mike Prager. Um, he's a big thinker. He's a really big thinker. And I have, I have greatly benefited from his thinking. He has made me nervous for years on how big he thinks, but he is a big thinker. And so I've kind of just taken that. But the point is that when you're setting those goals and you, and you're like, you, you feel like you're reaching them, by the way, the easier you reach them, the lower they were set. So, um, if it takes some effort to reach them, you just kind of keep moving it up and up and up. You know, that's, a, that's one of the things about building a billion dollar company is that when we first started this thing almost 20 years ago, no one had set out to build a billion dollar company. We had no expectations at all. And for the first couple of years, our desire was just to build a piece of software that people wanted. That was like a number one goal. And, and, and that took us a while, but, the long and short of it is that we kept going after our goals and achieving them. And then the bar just kept getting raised higher and higher and higher and higher. And all of a sudden billion dollars was a, uh, achievable. Did, uh, did I tell you that I went to my 30 year class reunion a couple of years ago and it got out that I helped build a billion dollar company. Did you hear that? And oh the, the way that it got out was I was telling everybody. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> I started with the athletes that picked on me and then I worked my way through the cool and popular kids. Yep. It was just like the movies. Of course. That's the way yes. to go. That's the way to go. I love that. And 
I love the simplicity of just the way you live, your presence, you're very approachable, right? People make a lot of assumptions that, you know, if you have a title behind you or, you know, a certain amount of affluence or influence that you are very complicated and you spend all this time in your head and you're actually very upfront about only working until you're done for the day and then you're done and you only, you know, you set your goals very achievable, right? You explain the complexness of what you do with pictures, like where does that simplicity come from and why is that so important to you? Well, uh, by the way, that's, this is a great question. And, and it's, one of the, it's one of the things that irks me about business is that they're, you know, they're, complex, they're complex and smart people are the ones that, are, that really struggle with communication. And I think, um, so it, if, you, if you were to just strip away everything that I try to do and then boil it down to some kind of essence. I think the essence would be is I am an educator. And we, we talked a little bit about that at um, um, the event that we were on at Saturday. And, you know, one of, my, one of my true hopes for this world is that we can help salespeople understand that they need to stop selling and they need to start educating. And if you're in a very innovative environment like Avid Exchange, you know, Avid Exchange didn't solve a problem. Avid Exchange didn't start a company. You know, we started, which is the thing I love, we started an industry. We created an industry that wasn't there. And it's, it's one of the big reasons why we've been so successful is that we've just been able to capitalize on and, uh, and create an industry and brand it for ourselves. I mean, that's a great thing to do. By the way, Candace, you should do that because it's a um, – and you, it's hard. It's really hard. But the thing that it takes a lot, it takes a lot of educating because people don't naturally consume innovation. And by the way, people are afraid of it. The very first vacuum cleaner was ne- they had a hard time selling it because there was a rumor that if you plugged it in, it would blow your house off. And so the way that they fixed it is they had people go door to door, plug it in vacuum clean the carpet and their house didn't blow up, you know, and, th- and basically that's education. I mean, this has been going on for years. And so I hope so. So the, one of the core tenets of great education is to be able to present what you have in a way that everybody can understand it. And the great thing about being simple is that when you're really simple, you know, the people who are slow can understand it, but the people who are smart can understand it too. I, I told you that I have a degree in history and museum studies, and I got this idea from the fact that when we write copy in the museum world, when we write copy, you know, put those things up on the wall, you have to put it at a fifth grade level. And the reason why is because most of the classes that come through it can understand it, and anyone who's a genius PhD could understand it also. So I never apologize for being simple. But here's the thing that I found out. would love to have your reaction on this. Mm -hmm. is the thing that I found out was the simpler I got on stuff, the more powerful that it became. So it was almost like, it was almost like the, you know, I didn't dumb anything down. I just gave, I just gave the information to people in a way that they could digest it. And when that happened, it made what I did way more valuable. What do you think? Yeah, I 100% agree. Like you said, when we met Saturday, that was one of the things that struck me and stood out. And all of the presentations were great, right? Everyone had great info, but yours stood out to me because you made it something that was like, oh, I can do that. 
right? I could repeat that to someone else and they know what I'm talking about. And sometimes I think, right, in business or when people are pursuing, they say, I'm not a business person or I'm not I'm not this type. I don't understand what accounts payable means. So I can't work at Avid. And you make right. it very clear, right? If you can draw a picture, you know, you can work here and we can train you. Yeah. And if you can tell stories and listen to people, that's all you need. And, and a lot of times I feel like it gets overcomplicated and people get more afraid. It already, it increases their anxiety starting out. And so they're not even listening to what you have to say. Yeah. And in business, what they do is they don't say, hey, look, I have no idea what you're saying. They say, well, it's not good timing. We don't have budget. We don't have resources. Well, we'll put you on the list. You know, that's the things that they say. They don't come right out and say, I have no idea what you're unless you deal in the Northeast. And sometimes (laughs) in the Northeast, they say, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you're an idiot. I kind of like that a little bit. But the point is that um, that that's code from your consumers that are saying, look, you need to do some better teaching. But I've done 6,000 Avid Exchange pitches. What do you think? Wow. It's a lot. It's a lot. I'm I'm getting good at it. I'm getting close. I'm kidding. And and when I start my pitch, there's two questions that I've asked, and I've been asking this for over 10 years. I always ask them, what is it about automation that you hope fixes, improves, enhances, or changes? Uh, So what is it about that uh, about our time together that you're hoping to improve, fix, or change? That's one question. The second question I ask is, what is it about your organization that's unique that you think I need to know? And when I ask that question, the purpose of it is obviously to find out the information, but the real purpose is to find out where they are on the education curve. So if they say, you know what, here's, this is, it's almost like deal with this. They say, we have five operating entities and they pause you know, waiting for me to say, oh, well, we can't deal with five. You know, we have a client that has over 2,700 operators. But their perspective is five is a lot because that's their world. You know, my job is to get into the world, make no judgments on it at all. And I can't say, are you kidding me? I got one that has 2,700. So asking the question is important to get the information, but it's how they answer that that's that's going to give you a glimpse into what's important to them, which is what I always like. Thanks for tuning in to part one of our chat with the amazing and hilarious Chris Elmore. We'll be back again next week where he's going to share the one thing that most salespeople aren't the best at and a strategy that you can use in your business to help you get that edge, that billionaire edge against your competition. So be sure to tune back in. And while you're waiting, head on over to Avid Exchange, A-V-I-D-X-C-H-A-N-G-E dot com to check out the company, see how they can help automate your accounts payable process. And if you're looking for employment, they're hiring up to 30 people a day. So this company is growing and they want to see you. So be sure to check them out. We'll be back again next week sharing the juicy details. And as always, continue to build that mental cement.